It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. If you can believe it, this is our 500th episode. Wow. And though the title would cause you to think that this is a message about devastation and disaster, it's actually the exact opposite. It's a message that reminds us who is really in charge of the nations and the entire universe. His name is Jesus Christ. Hey, this is Eric. In this time of uncertainty, it is our hope that this message reinvigorates your faith, equips you to keep standing firm, and to keep believing in the God who is strong to save. If you would like to listen to any of the other episodes in this fun series on World War II, or for that matter, any of the other 499 messages that came before this one, go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily. Okay, guys, you do know that this is a special Daily Thunder, right? Uh, do you guys know what episode this is? 500? This is our 500th episode, and you guys just happen to be here for it? So this is a pretty big deal. Uh, so congratulations, Nathan, since uh, Nathan and I are probably the ones that uh, you know, are maybe more excited about it than the rest of you, because just, it's just a big accomplishment. And so what was it, April 29th, 2019 that we started? and uh, already reached our 500th episode. It's been just a great run. The entire premise of Daily Thunder isn't the size of the audience in here, but is the principle of preaching daily the Word of God and just letting it fly and letting God do with it as He sees fit. But we want to have a testimony and a witness of the Word of God and the work of our Savior here on earth in a constant way. And it's been profound, I mean, because thousands of people daily are listening to these things around the world, even if we have sometimes handfuls of people here. And that's been a, a, a very significant thing for us, just how, what that proves spiritually, because that's the way we look at it spiritually. Sometimes we're doing something and it's for one person on this earth, and we're pouring ourselves out, and it seems like it's not making a difference. But if you recognize how God's kingdom works, that sends a reverberating effect around the globe, and there is something that is taking place. And that's, that's sort of the principle of what Daily Thunder started with, and here we are on the 500th episode. And it's pretty cool that it's part 90 of the World War II series as well. So I like even numbers, you know, and there, there they are right there. So that's, that's great. Uh, this title is, you know, for a 500th episode, you'd think I would have gotten something a little more pleasant sounding. The Atomic Bomb is Born. That's literally the name of this thing. I, I saw this coming. We, we, had, uh, we had the opportunity of having the 500th anniversary edition uh, land on Thanksgiving, okay, tomorrow. And so you'd say, what happened? Well, Nathan got the bright idea of giving a, a Saturday edition of Daily Thunder, a little bonus one for the Man Talk conference when it was in town, and it added one, so we got one day ahead. So uh, Nathan, I think he also wanted to stick it on me, because that would have been his, his day tomorrow. So, uh, but instead of having something sweet like, thank you, Lord, is the name of the, the, the title of it, instead it's the atomic bomb is born. <laughs> But uh, we're at such a crucial time in the history of World War II. We're in 1945. VE Day, their victory in Europe has uh, happened. Uh, in other words, we are celebrating. There's confetti in the streets. And yet there's still a looming darkness. There is still a weight. And when you read Winston Churchill's memoirs, you feel it. He can't celebrate. He, he sees what is happening. He sees Stalin encroaching upon Eastern Europe. And even though Hitler's out of the way, now 
Stalin and, and communism is starting to sweep through Europe, and he sees the Japanese menace. The Japanese are becoming weaker and weaker, but this people will not die without a fight. They originally started with the premise that they will all die for their emperor, a hundred thousand or a hundred million for the cause is basically their chant. A hundred million, and they will die to the man, to the child. They will all die, but they will never surrender. So you could just imagine what Winston Churchill might be thinking. So yes, we dealt with Europe, but now we have the menace over in the Pacific, and it has to be dealt with. And we can't leave the Americans on their own against it because they came to help us. So that means, oh no, we still have a war. Uh, and so this is all part of uh, what is taking place right now. And if you've been following me over the last bit, you know that there's even more than that. I mean, Winston Churchill is up for re-election in June and July. This is all happening. So he's campaigning. And just the weights that I feel that this man is carrying right now, you'd th you know, for every, everyone else in the world is celebrating. And he just cannot. There's like a heaviness upon him because he sees the same thing he saw happening in Europe when he saw Hitler rising. Now he sees with Stalin rising to power. To a great, it's, a, it's a menace. And he recognizes that if we don't deal with it now, that it's going to grow and grow and grow in its malevolence. But no one wants to face that. No one wants to have someone rain on their parade and say, yes, we defeated Hitler, but now let's go back to war. No one wants to hear that, and so as a result, you see his voice being marginalized, and he's going to be voted out of office. You know, so all of this is going to happen simultaneously. The atomic bomb is born. <clears throat> so the haunting facts of 1945, and I just went through most of them, but here's a simple way of saying it from Winston Churchill. Japan was still unconquered. So people of the earth, I know you're happy, but we have a problem still. And that is Japan was still unconquered. So Winston Churchill says, Up to this moment we had shaped our ideas toward an assault upon the homeland of Japan by terrific air bombing and by the invasion of very large armies. So they know that they're going to have to deal with Japan, but how do you deal with this island nation? Especially when you're Great Britain, you know how hard it is to attack an island. Very difficult. Especially an island of people that are crazy. <laughs> That's the way the Western world would look at the Japanese. I mean, these people are crazy. They are happy to kill themselves. In fact, they get some kind of thrill out of it when they die for their country, when they die for their emperor, who they believe is God, by the way. And so as a result, there's this insanity that seems to lead this people, this delusion that they're in, that makes them tremendous warriors. And so as a result, to attack an island nation, which Winston Churchill himself knows, it's, I mean, uh, Great Britain hasn't been able to be uh, invaded for hundreds of years. And so, and that's not because people haven't tried. And it's very, very difficult. So how are they going to deal with this? So they're going to start with terrific air bombing and then an invasion of very large armies. Okay, that's the best they can come up with so far. We had contemplated the desperate resistance of the Japanese fighting to the death with samurai devotion, not only in pitched battles, but in every cave and dugout. I had in my mind the spectacle of Okinawa Island, where many thousands of Japanese, rather than surrender, had drawn up in line and destroyed themselves by hand grenades after their leaders had solemnly performed the rite of harakiri. 
And I don't really want to go into what all those things are and how the Japanese would even kill themselves as a, a statement of honor. I mean, but it's, it's very unpleasant. This is a people, and, and they found this on the island of Okinawa. And if anyone saw Hacksaw Ridge, they saw a little bit of that, which I'm not giving a recommendation uh, to watch that, to endure that, but it was a very powerful illustration of, you see the two different mindsets of how they uh, approach war. But even uh, decades later after this, there are going to be islands in the Pacific where Japanese soldiers had been isolated who still think the war is going because the only one that can call them out of the war are their commanders. And, uh, but their commanders never told them to set down their weapons. So even decades later, these same Japanese soldiers are still fighting to the death and killing people because their commander had not told them to set down their arms. And they were convinced that they would die to the man. So they know that their country did not surrender. No, 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 I, that's false information. That's disinformation, or as we would say today, that's fake news. That didn't happen. And so as a result, the dedication of these soldiers is quite amazing. So you can just imagine from the Western vantage point, it's like, how are we going to stop this? To quell the Japanese resistance man by man and conquer the country yard by yard might well require the loss of a million American lives and half that number of British or more if we could get them there, for we were resolved to share the agony. So this is what he's dealing with at this exact point. Let's just say July 16th, 1945, because something's going to happen on July 17th, 1945, which is going to change the entire landscape. July 16th, 1945, you're figuring mathematically in at least 1.5 million deaths to be able to stop this menace in the Pacific. Okay, you understand why there's a little bit of a heavy heart here? I mean, this is quite the obstacle that is standing in the way. So July 17th, 1945, something is going to happen. Most of us don't mark that day on our calendar, and I'd say for good reason. This is not the most pleasant thought, <laughs> but something is going to happen. Something is going to arrive on the scene that is going to change the course of everything. Winston Churchill says in his memoirs, on July 17, world-shaking news arrived. In the afternoon, Stimson called at my abode and laid before me a sheet of paper on which was written, Babies Satisfactorily Born. By his manner, I saw something extraordinary had happened. It means, he said, that the experiment in the Mexican desert has come off. I put new in front of Mexican because it was in New Mexico and obviously Churchill didn't quite know the difference between the two. <laughs> that the experiment in the New Mexican desert has, has come off. The atomic bomb is a reality. Although we had followed this dire quest with every scrap of information imparted to us, we had not been told beforehand or at any rate I did not know the date of the decisive trial. No responsible scientist would predict what would happen when the first full-scale atomic explosion was tried. Were these bombs useless or were they annihilating? Now we knew. The babies, that's in quotes, had been, quote-unquote, satisfactorily born. No one could yet measure the immediate military consequences of the discovery, and no one has yet measured anything else about it. 
Next morning, a plane arrived with a full description of this tremendous event in the human story. Stimson brought me the report. I tell the tale as I recall it. The bomb, or its equivalent, had been detonated at the top of a pylon 100 feet high. Everyone had been cleared away for 10 miles round, and the scientists and their staffs crouched behind massive concrete shields and shelters at about that distance. The blast had been horrific. An enormous column of flame and smoke shot up to the fringe of the atmosphere of our poor earth. Devastation inside a one-mile circle was absolute. Here, then, was a speedy end to the Second World War, and perhaps to much else besides. So, it's a haunting thought, everything about this. It's haunting to think of spending 1.5 million lives, but it's also haunting to think of even using something like this. I'm not going to go into the decision-making processes that Truman went through because he's going to be the one actually with the device and with the decision. I wouldn't want to be him. And actually in looking at his decision-making criteria, every single uh, world leader supported him in what he did, which, which is a fascinating statement. And I think it's hard as a Christian man to be able to weigh in on it, if that makes sense. It's a hard thing to say, okay, if they're not going to go away without a fight, what do you do? How do you quell this evil in the Pacific? Oof, this is a hard one. And of course, this is going to lead to something known as the bombing of Hiroshima and the bombing of Nagasaki. That's not what the focus of this message is. It's just basically to say the atomic bomb is born. And immediately, the moment Churchill knows this, he says, here then was a speedy end to the Second World War. He understands immediately this will deal with it. This is the solution. It's obvious to everyone. You, you guys do know where atomic energy uh, in this atomic fusion was uh, invented was in Germany. That's the ironic uh, twist to this is they're the ones that came up with this. I want to say 1938 or 1939, their scientists had discovered this right before the beginning of World War II. They just could never make this work. And boy, well, they wanted to because whoever's going to uh, arrive at the, the baby being born first actually is going to win this war. And so the fact that it was America uh, is rather significant, I think, to all of us and the course of history. But nonetheless, it's a very sobering uh, meditation. So in the scriptures, there's, there's multiple words for power, but two that are going to primarily be used. And when I say the word power, we all sort of isolate to two sides of the room because there's two types of power. You have a, a little Hitler type of character, a little Napoleon type of character, and it's not muscular power that they are exerting, which is what most of us think of when we think of power. Like you have power to bench press a thousand pounds. Well, that is a form of power, but that would be a secondary form of power. So this, these two, uh, dunamis and exousia, dunamis would be our power of strength, like to, to bench press a thousand pounds. Well, that's a powerful guy. That's a po those are powerful muscles. It's the strength of an army. And so Hitler has power, but it's authoritative power. It's his second one, exousia. But he also may have a military that he can wield, but the military has its own power, and he just has power because he's over it. And so as a result, you see these two types of power will be described in Scripture often. So dunamis, you see the word dynamite is going to come out of that. Uh, the power of strength, an army's power, the strength of force and ability. Exousia is a legal power, a legal territory, a jurisdiction of control. For instance, I have this exousia in my home. 
I am father there. I have an exousia in this church. I have an exousia in our ministry. Now, that can be misused, but it's not a bad thing in and of itself. And you know, as we go through this, you're going to recognize that there are, God has all exousia. He does. He has all legal authority. But underneath that, there are jurisdictions or territories. And when it comes to, this is going to sound funny at first, but the devil has a certain measure of exousia. He has power. He has legal authority over certain things. And so we'll go through that as we uh, move forward. But this is a right, so exousia, legal power, legal territory, jurisdiction of control, a rightful claim, a legally backed position of authority, lawful claim or allowance, a liberty to do as one pleases, a chief monarchical position of authority to dictate and decide. So it's interesting because in Luke 4.36, you're going to see both of these forms of power that one, if you're translating, you recognize if you have both of them in the same sentence, you can't just say power, power. So you're going to see them use the word authority instead because that's what it is. However, you're going to notice the word exousia is oftentimes translated as power. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. For with authority, with exousia, and power, dunamis, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You see, Jesus possessed dunamis and exousia, and you can put a capital D on the dunamis and a capital E on the exousia. He had heavenly power. Still does, by the way. <clears throat> so this is an interesting statement. The devil has the power of death. Now, I can back that up in scripture. Hebrews 2.14, him that had the power, exousia of death, that is the devil. So I'm going to at least give a brief introduction because this is what I've done many times just to try and explain something. And that is, well, you know that God has all power. Why does the devil have any? I mean, come on, what, what is he doing with power? If we were in the Ludi home, the Ludi home has, you know, it, it has a certain code of honor, a, a certain way in which we live. There's certain things that are no-nos. You don't do that. There's certain things that are required, and if you don't do that, everyone in the house would go, ooh, that was a big mistake. That, that doesn't fit the code, right? There's a certain atmosphere that is created. There's certain smells that we do not promote, right? And if, it's, if the smell is there, we remove it from the house, if at all possible, right? In other words, there's an atmosphere, there's a fragrance, there's, a, uh, there's an attitude that is prospered in this home, and anything that is not of that is removed. It is pushed out, okay? That's just how every home works. And let's say there's a banana peel and it's just sort of laying there open and sprawled in the middle of the living room. That doesn't fit the code of the house, okay? That banana peel is considered trash, okay? It is not appropriate to be in the house. And so we have a certain zone in the house in which that banana peel goes. And probably all of you in your house, you have a similar zone. And you could call it the zone of trash. If we had a good Greek word for that, the zone of trash deal or something like trashito. You know, something to make it sound uh, more formal and theological. But we have this zone. In our house, we have a little pull-out drawer. And in it are, you know, you have a trash can and then you have this recycle uh, bin behind it. And so it's a nice organized system, right? And so this, this uh, banana peel goes from our house, our living quarters, into this zone. And now here's what's interesting. It's still in the house. That trash can is still in the house, but it's of a different nature than the rest of the house. Isn't that just a fascinating thought? If you were to dig through my trash can to see who I am, you wouldn't know who I am. 
In others, like, uh, except for you would see what I'm not. <laughs> this is what Eric has purged out of his house. Okay, so maybe in contrast, you could see who I am by saying, well, he's not a banana peel. Oh, he's not that either. Uh, and so in other words, it's going to show that which does not fit in the house and that which must be removed. Okay, this is the trash can zone. This is darkness. In other words, light is in the house, but when you shut that door, what do you have? You have the quelling of light. There is no light there. Okay, this is the, the zone of death, as it will be described in Scripture. So, yes, it's all in God's house, but it is a separate zone in God's house. And who is the chief of the trash can? His name is Satan. So if I were him, I wouldn't brag about that, okay? The fact that he's the prince of the powers of darkness and, and he, is the, uh, he has the powers of death, you know, that, that's not something to brag about. It's like, I'm over banana peels, okay? That, that's, that's all he has to say. However, when we sin and we no longer fit in that house, where do we go? We go to that trash can. God never intended us to be in that trash can. And so, of course, that's the gospel, is the rescue from the power of the enemy's zone back into the house. Okay, so that's just a quick enunciation. But this is an issue of legal authority. Who has legal authority over that trash can? Satan does. And he boasts about that a lot. It's like, hey, they sinned. That means they come under the power of death. Remember the, the law of sin and death? You sin, you die. That's what the law of sin and death is. So that's Satan's territory. Hey, they sinned, they're mine. He's right, actually. He's right. You see, sin leads to death, which leads to the trash can. He knows how this works legally. He has a sharp mind, and he knows what belongs to him. And as a result, what you're going to see in the gospel is something profound. And that is that though the enemy is right, that you sin, you die, is the rule of the land, there is a higher law that is going to enter, and that is you believe you live. And so as a result, anyone who believes is actually released from the hold of the trash can, and they are allowed into the dwelling place of God to live. Okay, that's I just summarized for you guys the gospel with a, a trash can illustration. Isn't that amazing? So we, we've already established the devil has this power, this exousia, this legal right to the domain of death. Jesus has the power of life. So let me uh, show that. John 10, 17 through 18. Therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power, exousia, to lay it down. And I have power, exousia, that's the legal authority, to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. Who's over life? Jesus is. He has power over this domain. Of course, we see when he says in John 14, 6, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the, of course, it is going to say the way, the truth, but I'm going to summarize it with some ellipses here. I am the life. So, okay, so Satan has power over death, but who is the life? Jesus. Now, if you were to put those two into an arena and have them fight it out, who's going to win? You know that death actually has no substance to it? You can't measure it. It has no matter to it. It just is the absence of something. It is the absence of life. So as a result, what the, de the devil is over is just the absence of something. It's a void. It's a vortex. It's a black hole. He doesn't have any substance. He just only has power when someone enters into it to be over them. But if they're absent, he has no power. You put life in, against death, life wins every time. Let's keep going. 
Satan has the power over darkness. Jesus is the power over light. So Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes, this is speaking of the work of Christ, the work of the gospel. This is what the apostles are set forth to do, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power, it's exousia, the legal authority of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we see that there's this, this domain of darkness, this domain of death, and the gospel is intending to rescue us, to wrest us out of that control and transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of light. And so that's, that's what we see. So let's continue our meditation because, well, if we were just to, before we go to this next slide, this next thought, if we were to put in, a, in an arena light and darkness, who are you going to bet on? You see, every day we walk into a dark room and turn on a light, we, we have the competition right there. And you know that darkness doesn't just lose the battle every single time when there is the presence of light, but it literally eviscerates in milliseconds. I don't even know how long it takes for it to win, but it's, it's quick, right? It has no ability to defend itself against light. So, yeah, you, the devil has the power of darkness, but that shouldn't cause you to shudder in your shoes, what you should reflect upon is Jesus has the power of light, and light is greater. So now let's think about this. Satan stole one-third of the angelic host, and we could stop there. I mean, I could say G uh, Satan has the power over uh, death. He has the power over darkness. And you could be like, oh, no, oh, no, say it isn't so, Eric. And I could say, did you know he also stole one-third of the angelic host? And you could be like, oh, no, stop, stop, this terrible bad news, just quit. It's all true. However, there's a greater truth. There's a truth that trumps it. And that's the meditation for right now. We live in a world where, for whatever reason, we're reading the headlines of what the enemy's getting away with. Satan has the power of death. He has the power of darkness. Oh, no, he took one-third of the angelic host. Oh, what are you focused on right now? Because there's a greater truth that trumps it, and it's critical that we remember that. But the Japanese still own the Pacific. There's still going to be a problem. You know how hard it's going to be to take that island? I know. Let's remember that God is in control right now. Okay, so what's the, what's the greater truth? Satan, is stole, Satan stole one third of the angelic host. Jesus retained two thirds of the angelic host. So mathematically, that's double. I, most of us have never really thought about the fact that Jesus is over double the amount of angels than Satan is. Now, we don't call Satan's uh, host angels. We call them demons because they're bad guys. You know, they're the, the wicked version. However, it's an amazing thought to think double the angels as exist demons. It's a finite number. It's not an infinite number. It's a finite number. Now, so if you're a betting person, which way are you going with that one? Not to mention the fact that Jesus is God. Satan is a created being. Jesus is almighty from the beginning, without a beginning, without an end. He's omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent. Okay, we're dealing with God almighty here that sees all, knows all, is over all, created all. 
And he has double the angelic host. He's over the powers of life and light. Who you betting on, guys? In other words, our faith puts its confidences in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't tremble before the one who has the power of death and the power of darkness and the one who stole one-third of the angelic host. We don't tremble before that. We tremble before the one who has the power of light and life and who maintained two-thirds, double. And it just happens to be God. Satan's head is crushed. I mean, that, that's just a fact as well. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of majesty, and all things have been placed beneath his feet. So here's five words that oftentimes sort of get grouped together. And in Ephesians, uh, we're going to see this, this list of, of words brought forth, and that is exousia, our, which is our word typically translated power, legal lawful authority, dunamis, oftentimes can be translated as might, but power, strength of an army, kratos, power, vigor, that which supplies the ability, arche, that gives you a whole new appreciation of the word archie uh, now, but arche, which is typically going to be translated again as powers or as principality. Uh, and it, what it means is the principal characters, those that are first in a system. So if we were to look at the governments of this world and we were to say, what are the, who are the principalities? They would be the ones in charge of the different nations. Okay, So you could have heavenly principal, principalities. You could have earthly principalities. All right, These are big dogs in the system. These guys... You know, are, are pretty tough stuff, right? So, hey, should we tremble before them? Those that hold first positions. And then kyriotes, which is translated oftentimes as dominion. For our sake, since dominion is not a normal word that we use, governments. Oh, I guess we do use it now when we talk about dominion software, but uh, that's different. Uh, government is actually our word for it. In other words, it's a system of that which governs and that which has the authority. All right, so when we go through Ephesians, you're going to see all of these words come out. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. This is going to be talking about the position of Jesus Christ. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, that's dunamis, toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, that's kratos, that's that invigoration, that power to do it, that ability to do it. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, well that was weird. Far above all principality. So remember all those first position guys? Remember the world leaders? Remember the heavenly uh, leaders in the demonic host? Above all of them. Above all of them. So, I mean, I know it's impressive to think of a president of the United States or a prime minister of Great Britain. I mean, these are, these are big characters. They're nothing in light of who Jesus is. So he's far above. He's not just above. He's far above all arche, all principality, and power, exousia, all legal authority, everything that could possibly be wielded, and might, dunamis, all military strength, and dominion, all governments, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, what's Eric's meditation? 
the atomic bomb is born. And I've been spending a good deal of time talking about power. In fact, I'm specifically emphasizing God's power. Okay, because in every situation, we need to remember who's in charge. Right now, there's a duping that is taking place, and there's a weakening in the saints. There is a tremor in the souls of believers around this country in particular, but I have a hunch it's in other countries too. Because this one last remaining vestige of liberty, known as the United States, is under duress right now. We are in a backed into a corner, back on our haunches, and it doesn't look like we're going to make it out. I mean, if you were to look at it in the natural sense, hey, I mean, who, how are we going to do this? And so some of you are like, we can do it legally. We can fight this in the Supreme Court. All possibly true. However, this is a spiritual battle. We are dealing with powers of darkness that are superior to earthen powers. Just like I've oftentimes said, sheep against wolves. Who wins? Wolves. Unless a shepherd steps in. So unless a shepherd steps in, wolves win. But if a shepherd steps in and lends the strength of his authority, his rod, to the situation to defend the sheep, if he does that, by the way, guys, I'm betting shepherd on this one. Shepherds win, especially the good shepherd, you know, the one known as Jesus Christ, never lost a battle. I don't think he's about to lose now. So let's look at Ephesians 1, I don't remember what verse this is, I have the whole collection of 18 to 23, but it's somewhere right around 22 or so. So where has Jesus been lifted up? Far above all, remember it was Arche, so I'm just going to take all the Greek words and I'm going to swap them out with something that would make more sense to us. Far above all world leaders, that's in parentheses, and, another parentheses, earthly authorities, and, another parentheses, military weaponry and martial power, and, another parentheses, all governments of the earth. He's above all of them. Who do you serve? Who are you looking to right now? Where does your confidence lie? Does your confidence lie in an earthly system of salvation? Oh, and if we somehow can just maintain this, then we're fine as the church? The church has lived without the Constitution of the United States for generations and generations and generations. And it has thrived. I, for one, am not interested in flushing it down the toilet. But I want us to remember who we serve and that his form of government will never end. His constitution will stand forever, even when someone tries to undermine it. The kings of the earth could take their stand. The rulers of this earth could conspire to take down that anointed one who sits enthroned in heaven. But the one who is enthroned in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. So Winston Churchill says, and I've already read this, this is a review. On July 17th, world-shaking news arrived. So, you guys ready for this one? Oh, look at that guy, Eric Ludy. On November 25th, in the 500th episode of Daily Thunder, world-shaking news arrived. See, that's what could be said in history. This is world-shaking news. What I am saying is technically classified as the good news. And it's arriving fresh today for you to hear. You know, sometimes we just need Stimson to set the piece of paper in front of us and declare what has happened. And it changes our entire outlook. 
Because Winston Churchill's under a great heaviness at this exact point in time, and he just feels the weight of it, sort of like we do. I don't know. I mean, it's a wise thing not to follow the media. Wise. But even if you're following the media that's biased the opposite direction <laughs> against the, the mainstream media, even if you follow that, it doesn't really always encourage you. Let me just put it that way. In fact, I would say there's been a stretch of time where there's a damper that is over the souls of so many believers. I feel it. I feel what the church is feeling right now. And it's like there's a certain ache that I have. And I want to say, look heavenward. Remember who is seated on high. Do not fail in spirit. Do not flag in faith. This is our hour, church of Jesus Christ. Our God is victorious. He has triumphed at that cross. And he is not weak to save now. The question is, do we as believers believe? Are we doing what we are supposed to do? Because there's multiple things you could believe. You could believe the mainstream media. You could believe the, the establishment system that wants to convince you of a certain reality. You could even believe in the conservative media and what they're saying. And when a, uh, an attorney gets up and gives a, a nice speech, you could say, that's where my confidence lies. You could believe in those things. And I would say, Church of Jesus Christ, make sure you are grounded and founded in the Word of God, which is rock. And when winds and rains beat against you, you will not fall. Because God does not change. When He says it with His mouth, He can back it up in a court of law. Our God is true. He is faithful. He has done it. Let's remember that now. So on November 25th, world-shaking news arrived. Look at, I get to be the guy delivering it. I mean, Winston Churchill got to write it in his memoirs, but I get to put it on the screen today in the 500th episode, by the way. Daniel 7, 9 through 10. Let's just enjoy some of this news and let it strike us afresh. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Who's in control? Well, we get a foreshadow of how it's all going to turn out back in the book of Daniel, way, way, way back. Our God wins. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Have your eyes seen the King, the Lord of hosts? You see, what that says, even in and of itself, the King and the Lord of hosts, what is that? King? He has exousia, he has legal authority. Lord of hosts, that's the one who's the master of the battle, the master of the military machine. Have you seen it? Have your eyes beheld the king and the Lord of hosts? Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. 
And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's okay to tremble, you know, as we read these things. That's the proper response. It's called the fear of God. You see, we don't fear what's going on in this world. We actually tremble before the realities of our God, who is over all things, who is holy, holy, holy. I know that's not being covered right now. You don't see these quotations coming up in the mainstream media to say, hey guys, I just want to remind us that we're headed in the wrong direction, O nation uh, of America, and if we keep going in this direction, have you guys read what it says in Daniel? Have you read what it says in Revelation? (laughs) Have you read these things? No, no, see, that's not being said. And as a result, it's important that we remind our own souls and each other of what is said. Romans 14, 10 through 12, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, God has also highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Winston Churchill, this is just a uh, refreshment of something I said in the very beginning. In the afternoon, Stimson called at my abode and laid before me a sheet of paper on which was written, Babies Satisfactorily Born. So I'm going to sort of slip a piece of paper in front of all of us. And I'm, I'm going to have to read to you what's on it because it's all imaginary, right? But my next slide has it. Psst. The baby is born. And you can say, what in the world's he talking about? I'm talking about the great ultimate weapon to defeat sin was born. See, this is exactly what's happening then. It's Stimson sitting in front of him surreptitiously with a smile on his face going, we've got it, sir. It's done. You do know that the work is finished. You do know that the baby was born, right? I mean, you know how astounding it is that God Almighty came to this earth to solve our dilemma. Personally rolls up his sleeve and is born. The ultimate weapon. You're impressed with the atomic bomb? Well, before the face of Almighty God, earth and heaven flee away. They have no place to find rest. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with a nuclear bomb as well. Okay, it's, it's a pretty impressive thing. But God, I mean, we're talking God Almighty. You, it's like even the power of the sun was created by him. And if you've ever studied the power of the sun, it's so overwhelming that we have no words to describe it, no mathematics to be able to contain its power. And yet God created it. This is the one we serve. I know we're all impressed with the atomic bomb and it hushes us. It moves us to silence to recognize that men are carrying around such power. I get it, okay? But God carries a greater one. And we as the saints of God 
wields it. We need to remember the truth right now. So, psst, this is Stimson sticking a piece of paper in front of you. The baby is born. The ultimate weapon to destroy the defiant powers of hell has arrived. Yes, the devil has power and he will not give up ground without a fight, but this heavenly weapon is unable to be stopped and is far superior to any resistance the powers of darkness may attempt to muster. No matter what hell tries to do, this is a greater weapon. It is greater than anything. The kings of the earth all marshaled together. Remember Babel? God's saying there's nothing that they can't do. Even if all of earth gathered together with one singular intent to destroy God, to take down his truth, God with but a flick of his finger is able to devastate all of that work. God wins. God is triumphant. God is over all. All things are beneath his feet. He's far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion. Far above. 2 Kings 10, 15 through 17, we have a picture of judgment. Now, it's very, very important to recognize that when in Revelation you see this one book is opened. So these books are open, which seem to be this judgment, and they're being measured according to what's in these books. But then there's another book that is opened. It's called the Book of Life. One of the best ways of looking at the book of life is the word of God, Jesus Christ. And any of us that are found in him are spared, are saved. And the same thing is true in every judgment. We don't fear judgment. We tremble before the realities of an atomic bomb. But if it's aimed at Japan, we don't fear it. (laughs) If it's aimed at the evil, we don't fear it if we're on the side of the good, right? Even though we tremble at the realities of what it means. We tremble before the realities of what judgment is. And yet, there's a choice that we have to make, all of us. And here we see it vividly portrayed. Jehu has his chariot. He has just trampled under his chariot wheels Jezebel. Okay, evil... Uh, I mean, she's literally the symbol of evil for most people in the Old Testament. It's like, okay, name someone who's evil in the Old Testament. Uh, Jezebel, right? She was just trampled under these same chariot wheels. This chariot is approaching you and me. We'll call ourselves Jehonadab right now. Now when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand, and he took him up to him into the chariot. Then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained in Ahab, to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. There's a chariot of judgment, and you don't want to be under its wheels. It's a furious chariot. However, the one who drives that chariot reaches his hand down and says, is your heart towards me as my heart is towards you? It is. And he takes us up into his chariot and says, now watch. So I don't blame you for trembling before the realities of the terrible chariot, the furious chariot. But don't fear. If your heart is towards him as his heart is towards you, what is his heart towards you? He says, I want you. I love you. I care about you. 
I want you saved. Is your heart the same? Do you want to be saved? Do you desire me to save you? Do you desire my love? I do. Take my hand. And he takes us up into the chariot, the very instrument of judgment known as Jesus Christ. We are in Christ, the judge of judges. And in that terrible day, we are in the book of life. And when it's opened, there we are. This is the gospel. So this is the good news, which is why on November 25th in the 500th episode, even though we're talking about an atomic bomb, we are hearing good news. He is victorious. And he has reached out his hand to us to take us in, to spare us from the judgment that is to come. We have a very, very real hope right now. And I don't just mean in the eternal sense, but in the present tense sense. We serve a God who has all power and authority. The question is, are we going to walk in faith that matches it and live in such a way as if our God actually does rule the nations? That's what he is looking for right now. God's chariot of judgment. You're either in the chariot or you're under the chariot. If you want to ask me, it's like, Eric, which one should I go for? I'm going to highly encourage you to get in the chariot. That's an understatement, isn't it? Guys, we have good news. God won, God wins, and God always will win. He saved, he saves, and he always will save. He has defeated death and darkness. He defeats death and darkness, and he always will be over them. God is triumphant. Let's rest secure in him today. Father, we trust you. We trust that you would steer this country towards righteousness, that you would expose that which is evil and bring it under judgment. Lord, we crave the return of justice. But we crave it first to return to us as the church. You say judgment begins in the house of God. Please, Lord Jesus, hold us to the righteous standard. Convict us of sin and purge that which is evil in us so that we can more effectively serve you in this hour. Lord Jesus, we love you and we trust you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.